we began uh, a series of messages in the Chinese service last week on the name Wonderful. Jesus, his name shall be called Wonderful, and he is wonderful, and his words reveal that. His words are wonderful. One of the Psalms says, in God will I praise his word. You ever think about that? Praising God's word. sing verse 2, pay attention to the second line. Well, it begins, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, 
Late in time, behold him come. Late in time, behold him come. 4,000 years of human history. The majority of human history was lived without him. We've had him for 2,000 of the last 6,000 years. So two-thirds, two yes, two-thirds of human history, he was not here. He was waiting for. Uh, we're privileged to live in this time in which we're looking back. And we can celebrate his coming. So let's celebrate his coming tonight. Think about his, his coming here to save us. Now, verses 1 and 2 of uh, 93, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Psalm chapter 14 tonight, and we were in chapter 13, I think, last time, so we're in chapter 14. Now, there are some famous verses in this chapter, and let's look at verse number 1, 14.1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. The Lord looketh down from heaven 
upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord. There were they in great fear for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back to the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. I hope to cover four verses tonight. But go back to verse number one. This famous verse about atheism. Atheism. A means no. Theism, theos, God, no God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, this is going to be a courtroom scene in this chapter. And as he begins this first verse of this chapter, the short chapter of seven verses, he says, the fool, the fool hath said in his heart. Now, the word fool is found many times in the Bible, and there are many kinds of fools in the Bible. And that's another sermon. But for tonight, there's one fool that is the most serious kind of fool. The fool that says there is no God. Now imagine a man living a life for 90 years and he says there is no God. I would think that the longer man lives, the more he would begin to rethink his youthful foolishness and say there must be a God. And he has helped me through all of my medical problems, my physical problems my almost dying experiences, my prosperity. I would think that the longer, the longer a man lives, he would think there must be a God somewhere who has been gracious to me. But the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's the worst kind of a fool of all the fools in the Bible. Well, to say that there is no God, just think about what he has to overcome to say, to convince himself that there is no God. He has to overlook a lot of things to come to a conclusion that there is no God. Now think about it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. It's like heaven has spoken to mankind from the beginning that there is someone who made everything. Just take a look around in the daytime. Take a look around in the nighttime. You're going to see something that is impossible for, the, for it to just have happened by mistake. And so man in his heart probably thinks without any without any interference by other sources uh, that would influence him to say there is no God, he would conclude in his heart and in his mind, someone, something bigger than me made everything that I'm looking at. When a man looks at his body, when a man thinks about the sciences, he thinks about biology and he examines things, he learns about medicine and uh, everything like that that's helpful to mankind, he must think, he must think there is a design there is a purpose and a function to the human body, just like there's design and function in birds and animals. Everything that you examine in, in, natural, in the natural world, it points to a, a creative, wise creator. But he has convinced himself that there is no God. That's why the Bible says he's a fool. To observe, to analyze nature, and to come to a conclusion that there is no God, Something is in play that leads to that conclusion. Now, we know that when you were young and I was young and children are small, if their parents are Christian, 
which would be a great blessing, they would probably try to talk to their kids and say, you see that bird? That's a pretty bird. You know who made that bird? The baby does not quite understand everything mother is saying, but he's listening, trying to process what he's hearing. And the mom would say, even before the child can understand, God made that bird. He doesn't know who God is. He doesn't understand the vocabulary, but he's listening. And as he grows, he begins to understand. He begins to talk. He begins to reason. And as mom continues to, to tell him uh, as a young child that there is a God who made the flower. You see this pretty flower? You see the peacock? You see the waves? You see the first, the birds you see? You see all these things? You know, God made him. And he's thinking, oh yeah. And he's accepting it. He's not doubting it. He's not criticizing what mom says. He's taking it in like, I don't think mom's going to lie to me. She must be telling the truth, obviously. And so she's telling me about someone who's called God. And later on, as he begins to understand more and begins to talk, he's going to ask questions, isn't he? He's going to say, uh, and she shows him Bible story books. And here's Adam and here's Eve. And here is when they sinned against God. And this is something that represents God. And the boys listen, the child's listening very intently. The child wants to learn. He is soaking everything in. At that moment, at that time of life, there is no doubt that he's believing everything mother tells him. And then he accepts it. He grows up. They go to Sunday school. He's in the nursery, but uh, sometimes he's in church. He hears singing. And then later on, he's asking questions because kids are very nosy. <laughs> they want to ask questions, know about things. And so, Mom, you said God last week. What is God? Who is God? Oh, and then she begins to get excited because she can explain to the child who God is. And then he doesn't understand too much. But he says, he asks things like, but I don't see God. I don't see God. And the wise mother says, yes, but we see what God has made. The creation of God. Look at that moon. Look at the stars. Look at the sun. Well, not look at the sun, but uh, think about everything that you're experiencing in life. The beautiful parks, the sunset, the sunrise, the mountains, the lakes, the oceans, all these things. And he says, uh, he's accepting it, but he's saying, I haven't seen God. So I'm trying to explain that from youth, children believe what they're told. If they're told there is no God, then of course they would think that way too. But I think in his heart, he begins to wonder, well, no, that's got to be a God because, no, but then he's talked out of it. Now, here's what I'm saying. Children, when they're young, grown up, they, they accept that there is a God from their parents, but then they become influenced by other people as they grow up. They go to school and their teacher, whom they trust and have uh, confidence in because the teacher um, has the authority she has all wisdom she's smart he's smart and parents have told your kids uh, told the kids when you go to school respect the teacher and so they do and then the teacher begins to teach things about evolution and then eventually it's coming out that there is no God but teacher my son's good teacher says that God made everything oh no no your teacher some teacher's wrong has your son's good teacher been to college I don't know has your son's good teacher studied biology? I don't know. Well, has your teacher learned about, see all the sciences? I don't think so. Well, I have, the teacher says to the student and to the whole class. And the teacher convinces the child that she's right because as far as we know, she is right in her mind because she's had an education. And she has been taught, she's been, she's been taught that everything that we see today is the process of evolution. And she begins to teach kids. And as the child continues going to school, begins to get more and more detail, more and more in-depth education, so-called about that there is no God. And so the child begins to doubt what mommy has told her, doubt what Sunday school teachers told her, doubt what she hears at church. 
and producing that child begins to have real serious questions about, I don't know if there's a God or not. My teacher's real smart. She's got several degrees, and then the child goes to high school. It becomes even worse. You see the, the progression, the degression gets to college, and pretty soon the smart, all-wise professor begins to really rip it apart and says, you know, this Bible stuff that people have been telling people, Adam and Eve, are you kidding me, Adam and Eve? 6,000 years, are you kidding me, class? The professor was all-wise and all-bald, or maybe all-hairy. And he convinces, he's very persuasive. Students who were growing up in church now begin to doubt what they have heard in church. They begin to doubt what they were taught as children. And pretty soon, they are just overwhelmed by the knowledge of these professors. And now they have become also non-believers. They don't believe in God anymore. But the Bible says this, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. So now those kids who used to believe in God, now they may have been saved, may not have been saved, not sure, but they now intellectually say there is no God. You know what God calls people like that? They're fools. Imagine a child growing up in Sunday school, turns 18, goes off to some secular university or college, and they get even more thoroughly brainwashed. And now they come home after, during Christmas break, and they disavow everything that their parents have taught them and what they've learned in church. They have been intellectually deceived that there is no God. But the Bible does say this, the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. No matter what that child thinks now as a young man, no matter what a professor says as an educator, they still are called by God fools for saying that there is no God. So can you understand, no matter what anybody says, the Bible does say that that person who says there is no God, that person is a fool. Now a fool is someone who is ignorant. Now, there are three dictionaries I look at when I try to find out the meaning of a word in the Bible. Besides the King James Bible Dictionary, there is Webster's Dictionary, and there is uh, the online free dictionary, and then there is the Oxford Dictionary. Those three are good sources to give you a good balanced definition of a word. And do you know that those three give a good view about what a fool is? A fool is someone who acts foolishly. A fool is someone who is, the Oxford Dictionary says, ignorant ignorant now those are some of the words that is used to describe a fool someone who acts like a fool is lacking in common sense all those words describe what a fool is but the problem with the fool is not his education he's had plenty of education it's not a lack of education that makes someone a fool now think back with me to the garden in the garden you had a man that our, our first dad and we had a mother, our first mom, back then in the garden. Now, they were in a perfect environment. Everything is perfect. Adam had intelligence. Eve had intelligence. God told Adam to name the animals. He had intelligence and to be a keeper of the, the garden. He had abilities and skills. And he was no dummy. He was a wise, intelligent, created being of God. So they had intelligence, they had educa education. It was not because of education they didn't believe in God or they believed in God. Let me back up and say it right. They were educated and they believed in God because they had first-hand experiences with God. They had fellowship with God in the garden. That's different from us today. Now we accept the fact of God by faith. We don't see God with the naked eye. In fact, no man has seen God at any time with the exception of Adam and Eve. And even then, there's some fine 
tuning to be discerned about that too, that they had fellowship with God in that sense of face-to-face. -face. Now, um, they were in a perfect environment, they had intelligence, and they believed in God. When did things change? Well, things changed when they fell into sin. Post-fall, out of the garden, trouble, trouble, trouble with the human heart. Since the fall, all men, Romans 5, 12, they have a sinful nature. And outside of the garden, as you think about man, man's problem is not intelligence or a lack of knowledge because Adam had all of that. But outside of the garden, after the fall, they now have a fallen nature, they now have a heart that is bad. And the proof of that is the first boys born into the human race, Cain and Abel, they both are given an education. We were covered by an animal's skin. Its blood was shed, and God used those skins, probably of a lamb, to cover us, cover our nakedness. Boys, when you get old enough, now we're gonna give a sacrifice for all of us from the family, but when you get old enough to make your own sacrifice, you have to kill an animal, shed its blood, and that's what God will accept. Both boys grew up, both boys grew up, both boys had opportunities to give their own sacrifices, and Cain gave a sacrifice that was rejected. Abel gave a sacrifice that was accepted, a blood sacrifice. Cain, of course, you know, gave the fruit on the ground the best that he had. He did it kind of in protest, and God rejected his sacrifice because he didn't do the right thing. But he knew to do the right thing. And here's what you want to remember. After the fall, man now had the ability to choose to accept. Now, he did have a ability to choose still in the garden, but he didn't have a sin nature. After the fall, he does. And after the fall, when he was given a proposition of accepting to do what is right, what Adam and Eve taught the boys, Cain chose to do what was wrong. And so in his heart, he harbored ill will. In his heart, he turned away from what mom and dad told him all of his life. And when he began to give a sacrifice, as an adult perhaps, he gave the wrong one. It's almost as I read it between the lines, he almost gave it out of, gave it out of resentment or like, you see, I'm gonna give this to God. God, if, you, if there is a God, you know, accept my best work. That's how I read that. And of course it was rejected and God said, God scolded him, rebuked him, said, if thou doest well, will thou not be accepted? If you did the right thing, if you believe what your parents told them, uh, told you, you would have been accepted like Abel was. Well, the point is you find that the human heart of man is the problem. He had knowledge, he had intellect, but he chose in his heart to do the wrong thing. And so he became a fool, Cain did. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, he didn't say there is no God, but he didn't believe God. He rejected the command to give a blood sacrifice. So you want to know that at the very beginning of this chapter, the heart of the problem is the heart. It is not the head. It is the heart that is the problem. The issue is the heart, not the head. Now, for sure, the head, if it thinks wrong, there'll be wrong action. But what influences the head to think wrong is the bad heart. A bad heart will cause a man to think wrong things. Now, also it says in verse number one, the fool has said in his heart, against all the evidence, against all the facts, against all that is clearly seen that there is a God, the fool still says in his heart, there is no God. 
he is blinded willfully. I would say the devil is involved, but more than not, a man's own heart has deceived him and has convinced him to turn against God without the devil's help. And to be sure, the devil is an accomplice, but the fool has said in his own heart, in his heart, there is no God. No God. Now, of all the fools in the Bible, I say again, this is the most tragic fool of all to say that there is no God. Right. How can a man live a life without God? Without God in his life. Paul talks about without God and without hope. How can a man live without hope? I just saw tragic video of a woman who jumped out of an airplane with a parachute, of course, and she was an experienced woman who had done this before, but as she jumped, and there's a head cam on her, on her uh, camcorder, you know what you call it, a GoPro kind of thing, and she's filming herself, but everything got, everything went bad. As she fell to the ground from the airplane, her line became tangled. She pulled the ripcord, but her line became tangled. It tangled around her, and it was all wrapped like that. And you could see it like that. You're following with her in the camera, and she is flailing, and she is panicking. Who wouldn't? And she's falling to the ground at 100 plus miles per hour. And she's screaming. You know what she's screaming? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. And you can start twisting like that and getting close to the ground. She's good. And of course, she died. She was saying, oh God, she's totally helpless. How can a man live his life without God in his life? Because without God, we are totally helpless. At that moment, nobody's an atheist. At that moment, nobody is an unbeliever. At that moment, nobody can help him except God. Only God could have intervened. And how, how can a man say there is no God? This is why God says he's a fool. And many other examples uh, in life, in the animal world, that tells you that there is a God. And to deny that there is a God is to really be a fool, to be one who denies and rejects the plain truth. Well, the fool has said there is no God. And uh, a fool who is an atheist, in this case, says there is no God. How does a man live if there is no God in his life? One who does not say there is a God, how does he live his life? How does he think? How does he treat his fellow man? How does he behave? What does a man do? How does he behave? How does he think? How does he act toward others if he thinks there is no God? Now, there's people who can act very nice and cordial and respectfully toward others that are atheists. I'm not saying that. I am saying that if the human heart left itself, does what it wants to do without God in his life, what will he do? Will he do good? Will he do bad? Let's look at verse number one again. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Okay. Not okay. If a man believes that there is no God, God says they are corrupt. He continues by saying in verse number one, they have done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. The natural outcome of a man who doesn't believe in God, who is an atheist, does not do good. What kind of people murder millions of their own people? A Christian or an atheist? Christian. 
communists in China or in other countries, what kind of people throughout human history destroy other people's lives and don't even think twice about it? They continue eating their food and wiping their mouth as if it's nothing. Joseph Stalin, Stalin was an evil, evil man. Did you know, I may have mentioned this several weeks ago, he made a list of people he wanted to eliminate from this world. Made a list. Like Santa Claus, he checked it twice. He actually did. He stayed up all night making a list, making a list names, and he would put a little mark for each name. That mark by that name meant to somebody, a subordinate, take that person to a camp or take this person and execute this person. And he didn't have, did have a list of names. Some of them are his own family members, his own nephews and aunts and so on. If they ever crossed him, boy, they're going to get it from him. In fact, there's a story about Stalin where a uh, sister-in-law approached, approached him to ask for mercy for her sister. And because she did that, see, Stalin really hated people begging. He said, that's a sign of weakness. And so uh, he says, never ask me again. And so out the door, she walked. Several months after, I think it was three, she was taken and put into a camp somewhere else and then eventually she was executed. That kind of a man who doesn't believe in God, evil people with an evil heart, atheistic people, bad people, do bad things because of a bad heart. On the other hand, on the other hand, See, we learn by contrast. On the other hand, a man who is a good man, a man who believes in God, what does he do? Does he do the same kind of? No, of course, just the opposite. Do you know that people who are, let me back up and say, people who are decent and have respect and have character and they respect human life, you know, they do good things. They generally do good things. So there might be a somewhat of an, ex, an exception to there's none that do good. Um, there is something to throw in here for us to think about. That is true. The Bible is right. However, there are people who are decent, moral, law-abiding, and nice people in this world, but they're not Christians yet. But they're unsaved. They've got a bad heart, but they have been brought up with respect for your neighbors, for authority. They're generous. They're kind. They're not even a Christian yet. And so... There is somewhat of a, quote, exception to there's none that do it good, and they've all done abominable works. Uh, not everybody has done that to that degree, but the human heart, left unchecked, will do things like this. So, we're now in a court scene. We're now in a court scene. Verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, when you read verse 2, the Lord looked down from heaven, it's like saying he is a witness against man. The Lord looked down, he's a witness. Now, in a court, in a real court of law, you have prosecuting attorney, defense attorney. All right, and you have the judge, maybe you have a jury. Now, when there is a charge against a defendant, the prosecuting attorney brings the charges for the judge and says, Your Honor, I'm going to prove that this man is guilty of first-degree murder. He did it with intent, maliciously, with forethought, 
We will prove to you, Your Honor, that this man is guilty of a capital offense and deserves the death penalty. The defense comes up and says, Your Honor, my client did kill so-and-so, but it was an accident. It was not intentional. And I will prove in this case that my client accidentally killed so-and-so. It was a simple, pure, tragic accident. It was not intentional. And I will prove to the jury, Your Honor, that my client is innocent. Now, you have here that going on, but the viewpoint is from the prosecuting attorney. The witness is God himself. Look first two. The Lord, the Lord looked down from heaven. See, he is the prosecuting attorney. He is the only witness against mankind in general. And he is saying he is guilty because I have, look, verse two. The Lord looked down. I have seen, I have seen man. He's an eyewitness. I have looked down upon heaven, from heaven upon the children of men to see, he's an eyewitness, to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all going to side. They have all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. Now, here's what he's saying. He says, God comes to the, if you can imagine God coming and being a witness in the courtroom. The prosecution says, now this is kind of funny because God is judge and jury. <laughs> but uh, the judges over here, uh, call your first witness. Uh, prosecuting witness, prosecuting attorney says, All right, Your Honor, I want to call God as a witness, which is kind of breaking up my story here because God's the judge. The prosecutor attorney is the judge, but now the witness is Jesus himself, God himself. <laughs> so he says, uh, I call my first witness, God. Okay, God calling him. Our brain is kind of like, me. And so God comes in, he says, and uh, place your hand on the Bible. <laughs> this read chapter, and the Lord says, I do. <laughs> kind of funny, you know, kind of odd, but uh, humanly speaking, we do that because we want the one who's testifying to be credible, free of any bias, that he has uh, integrity, his word is credible, that he's actually an eyewitness. And the prosecuting attorney or the defense attorney had better be sure that the witness that comes up, that he brings up, is going to be convincing because he is credible. And so God comes up and he sits over here in the chair and the prosecuting attorney says, Now, Lord, did you actually see mankind do these things? The Lord says, I did. And did you actually hear him say these things? The Lord says, I did. And when did you see him? When did you hear and you can imagine how this went on. And of course, the point is that the Lord looked down from heaven, verse 2, upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So there, verse 4, workers of iniquity. Now, the witness of the, the witness, the witness's testimony, God himself says they are guilty as they are accused of being guilty. I have seen it and I have heard it and I've seen all the evil that they have done. What can the defense say against a witness like that? So God is saying in this chapter, the atheist, the one who says there is no God, these are the things that he has said. These are the things he has done. There is no question that he is guilty before the whole universe and man cannot justify the fact that he is a fool and his actions and his words prove that he is a fool. So man is intelligent, 
but its conclusions, tainted by his evil heart, is all nature, concludes that there is no God. And this is what this chapter brings out. And there are famous atheists in this world. Some of them are of another generation. Probably the most famous atheist is now Richard Dawkins. He's written several best-selling books. One is called The God Delusion. And all of their emphasis is to prove by evolution that evolution is true and that there cannot be a God, the God delusion. Now, this is what they do, atheists do. They're so foolish, they're so deluded that they want other people to also be deluded and also to become fools. They are atheistic evangelists. They want to convert people to leave believing in God to becoming an atheist. We want to free them of their bondage. We want to make them free of their oppression. We don't want them to believe in organized religion. We want them to be free like we are free. There's another guy on YouTube. He's a black guy. He speaks very eloquently. Um, can't think of his name, but when you watch him, you can be so convinced that he is right about everything. He's right about some things. The world is round. He believes that. And he convincingly said the world is round. He's a good teacher. Unfortunately, tragically, he is so convincing that when he goes into the evolutionary side of things, into the no God side of things, he makes you feel like a fool for believing in God. Neil deGrasse is his name. Very eloquent speaker and uh, very convincing. He's been around many, very, many different uh, programs and he convinced you that there is no God and you should not believe that there is a God. And if you have believed this God, repent. Repent of your stupidity and your ignorance and you being naive to believe your son's good teacher, your church, your pastor, that there is a God. You, you, shame on you for believing the Bible. Science is the truth. The Bible is written by man and he will convince you that the Bible is bogus. Convincing, persuasive, you know, the grass, many others. But still God says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So if a man doesn't believe in God, what is he really in God's eyes? No, wait, 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 wait. What is he in God's eyes? Not what is he in our eyes? Now, in our eyes, we see someone very intelligent, very, very knowledgeable about a lot of things. And they may have all the answers to scenes about a lot of things. But what does God say if that man who is very knowledgeable, very intellectual, Many degrees behind his name, a lot of abbreviations, a lot of letters. What does God say about the man who is so smart and so wise and so intelligent about the things of this world, yet does not believe in God? God calls him a, a fool. Now be careful if you call someone a fool. Because that person is going to give a knuckle sandwich. Because it's an insulting word. And if you call someone a fool in any avenue of life, any venue in life, that's fighting words. That's insulting words. However, when God says in the courtroom, that man is a fool because he doesn't believe in me. That man can say, oh, oh, you, oh who are you to call me a fool? God says, God, I'm God. I call you a fool. Well, the man may be insulted, may be offended, but how can he argue against God calling him a fool? cannot. Now people are going to rally around this guy and say, oh wait a minute, now wait a minute, nobody calls my friend a fool. 
And then they point a finger at God and says, hey God, you are wrong to call my friend a fool. Why well, don't you know what my friend has done for this community? How much does he give to charity? How much he, blah, 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 blah. And God says, stop. I heard you and I saw you. I know that you are a fool. Of course, the evidence is stacked up against the man or mankind. And there's no way that man can buy his way out of it. We talk his way out of it. And so, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Is it possible for fools to be kind? Yes, it's possible. Is it possible for a fool to be respectful and be decent, law-abiding citizen? Perhaps, maybe there's a lot of them that we don't know about. But the well-known, the big names, the Dawkins and the others of this world that have such a platform and persuasion and they can convince college campuses and students to believe in what they're saying and take their minds away from God, you know, God calls them fools. And I believe that at the judgment, their judgment will be much more severe than someone who is not trying to be persuasive and evangelize people's minds away from believing in the Lord. And so chapter 14, chapter 14, verse number uh, four, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Well, no, no, wait a minute. These workers of iniquity, these atheists, these fools, they have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of knowledge. If you can examine, if you can check out from the earth to the heavens and observe nature, you have gained a lot of knowledge. But the conclusion, the conclusion is so bent toward the bias of not believing God in the first place that there cannot be a God and God could not have made these things. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Oh, they have a lot of knowledge. But knowledge without salvation is damnation. And so having a college degree, having a, a, a quote, full education, it's not maybe wrong within itself. And no one is saying be an idiot, be um, an ignoramus. Nobody's saying that at all. There's no value in being uh, unaware of things in this life and in this world. But to have all the degrees and to have the admiration of students and your peers and to be champion as he's an expert. Yet, if you don't believe in God, God says you are a fool. If a person rejects the revelation of God, the Bible, then that person's a fool. If a person denies the unseen world, denies that there is a heaven, there is a hell, that there is a God, that there are angels, invisible spiritual beings, uh, then that person is a fool. Ultimately, the worst kind of fool is one who rejects that there is a God. Many ways of which a man, in which a man can come to reject God fully, but nonetheless, he's still a fool. So what can you do as a Christian? Well, you can stay strong in the word, and uh, thy word is truth, Jesus said, John 17 and 7, thy word is truth. Therefore, if it is the truth, what it says about God is the truth. What it says about life is the truth. What it says about eternity is the truth. Why would you stop believing what the Bible says? Why would you stop believing in God himself if it is the truth? Right. And it is still the truth, even though well-known people say that the Bible is foolishness and that it cannot be depended upon. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, on the other hand, the wise man who believes the scriptures says that there is a God. And that person is way better off.
in this life and the next. So that's a little bit about this psalm. And uh, I'm working on another sermon. It's about the fools in the Bible. And there are many attached scriptures to that. And that'll be uh, enlightening and encouraging in a strange way. But isn't it funny when you think of this, how there is such an effort in public education to teach biology and sciences in a way deliberately it is to tell students everything's not by God but it's by evolutionary process and that they are not open-minded to alternatives they're not open to another viewpoint it is shut down because it is quote religious I'm very grateful for those who are not grateful for people who are using different ways of getting the truth out about there is a God through education through um, different programs uh, Ken Ham uh, over in Kentucky uh, he's done a real good job I think about using a platform in different ways to let people come in and see things and experience things and lead them to the conclusion that there is a God that's a good thing it's counteracting generations of atheistic teaching to students right. and when I think about this one more time about the fools they, they have done abominable things I'm thinking besides they gave the illustration or example of uh, Stalin what, what good have they done on a smaller scale you know when Paul got saved and he preached and uh, started the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6.10 he talks about uh, some of the well let me take a look at that 1 Corinthians 6.10 I want to close with this one truth about how an atheist is not even concerned about these things 1 Corinthians chapter 6 we're going to see that Believing in God is good because it helps people to live good lives. But if you are an atheist or you are a foolish person who doesn't believe in the true God, you live out your philosophy and you're not a good person. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and it comes to verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous, see those who are not saved, those who don't believe in God, they live a lifestyle without God. They're unrighteous. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so those who are without God in this world, they don't have God in the next life, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. How can that be a good thing? How can being an atheist be a good thing if you miss out on going to heaven? How is that a good thing? That's not a good, that's a tragic thing. What good is atheism? What good is teaching evolution of the original God? How good is that? Be not deceived. Ah, oh, ah. Oh. But there's deception going on. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. Now, how can that be a good thing in a society or for a family? If your husband or your wife or your, your kids are like this, how can that be a good thing? Well, atheists who don't believe in God, the idea is live now, get all you can now. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's no judgment. So just enjoy your life. Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, Abuses of themselves to mankind, verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. How can, verse 11, 
how can verse 10 be a good thing for any neighborhood or for any business? How can that be good in the courts? How can that be good in governor, extortioners? How can that be good for anybody? Shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And then he says, and such for some of you. That's not you anymore, ladies and gentlemen. He says, that's a thing of the past. But ye are washed, you're sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, because of God, their lives have changed and their eternity has changed. But if they were atheists, no God in this world, they die, go to a devil's hell. Why is that a good thing to learn about being an atheist? Why is it a good thing to not believe the Bible? Why is it a good thing to not believe in God if that's the end? It's not good. There must be some force behind all of this to send people to a devil's hell. Ah, I just gave one answer. It's the devil who is blinding the men, minds of men, uh, men that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine upon them. Okay. So their hearts are darkened. Their foolish hearts are darkened. And they have strayed from the Lord. And the devil is a big part of that as well. It's not a good thing to be an atheist in many ways. Atheists will tell you face to face without smiling with all confidence. It's great being an atheist. It's great being free. It's great not having any Manian rules over me. It's great that we can do as we please and just enjoy life and just be nice to each other. Okay, but what about when you die? That's not great if you die without Christ. So there is a real problem with being an atheist. The Bible says that's fool. You are a fool. And don't get mad at the one telling you that. You should be upset with the one who wrote that, the Bible, the Holy Spirit. That's words I'm just repeating. Therefore, you better look at your soul. You do have a soul. You better look at your eternity. You have an eternity. And the Bible tells us where you go without Christ. It does tell you also where you go with Christ. We have chosen to believe in God who wrote the Bible. We've chosen to believe His words. And because of that, we have been granted by grace through simple faith this thing called eternal life. And when we die, it's just glory ahead of us. There is a good life now, and there's a, a gooder life, <laughs> a good life later on. We don't lose. If we're right, we gain everything. But if you're wrong, you lose everything. Not a good proposition. Right. Are you a gambler? Well, you know, this FTX thing that's going on. A lot of people put all kinds of money. I read about a man just this morning, about a man who gave $890,000, sold us out everything to get this, uh, whatever the thing is. And when he found out that the bank was going to shut down, he tried to recover his money. It was too late. They blocked it. Too late. They declared bankruptcy. Too late. I don't know all the details about that, but I don't know one thing. These guys took a risk, a gamble, on a sure thing. He was assured this guy who gave up almost $900,000 of his own money, sold his house, he was assured there's no risk. He was convinced. He was persuaded by the professors of know-it-all, the experts. And when he tried to, when he woke up, it was too late. That reminded me to 
tell you this, when people die without Christ, and when they wake up and they're in hell, it's too late. Right. They cannot reverse that. He is on the bottom of the totem pole for any kind of recovery of his money. They're going to pay the bigger entities first, if they ever will. He's way down there. He says, I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm going to live. No risk. No risk. Do not risk your soul. Do not risk your soul. Turn to Christ as your Savior. That's the safest investment, the safest thing, and that's no risk because Christ did all the work. You cannot do any work to save yourself. It's just by faith in Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. That's not a risk. That's a guarantee. That's a promise for you to appropriate. And when you do that, God will save you. Father, I pray that you help us to realize that there's many people in this world who are very intelligent, very successful, prosperous, popular, well-known, household names, educated, highly educated, intelligent people, but they got heart problems. It's not their physical heart, it's their spiritual heart. They have said in their heart, there is no God. They've been convinced that there is no God. No doubt the devil has been an influencer, but they do believe very sincerely that there is no God. And then they go out and try to evangelize people for their gospel of no God. And they're successful. And so help us as Christians to be strong in our faith knowing that there's always going to be attacks and criticisms and doubts on the Bible, but that should not even bother us. We expect that. Now help us to be faithful to proclaim your word and be the Christian evangelist that we should be. Help us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. May we convert through your help some young people, some adults, on the verge of becoming fools. And then we pray for their salvation. We pray that they would become eventually fools for Christ. Help us, Father, to understand the seriousness of the spiritual battle that goes on. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.